all by myself. Oh, let's just cue the intro music. All right. So today, Mr. Ellis, what are we talking about other than my horrible singing voice, which we could just kind of move past now that everybody has experienced it? Well, Mr. Jarvis, today we're going to be talking about being a solo founder, why it sucks and why it sometimes doesn't suck. We're going to anger a lot of people with this conversation and that is fully intentional. Hooray! Just angering people who've written books called Company of One. Pretty much. And before we dive into this, can you explain what Company of One means? Company of One was never meant to be literal, which is why it's so funny when everybody's like, why did you write a book called Company of One and you have a business of two? It was never meant to be a literal title. Just like Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week was never meant to be like, hey, bro, because everybody that reads Tim Ferriss is a bro. Hey, bro. (laughs) You work four hours a week and then you stop. Company One was more of a, an idea that we should challenge growth. It doesn't mean growth is always bad or going to two people from one is always bad. It just means that we should think about growth before we do indeed grow, which I guess is what this conversation is today. If you are going to grow to two people, is that a good idea, an awful idea, and why it might be better, I guess, if you are two instead of one? Yeah, and the piece I don't understand about Company of One is you have a two-person business. So I needed to tweet (laughs) you about that, actually, when I saw Company of One. I think you should. Or tweet me once a week about it. I would dot at tweet you so everyone sees as well because then everyone sees how clever I am and witty. Is that still a thing? Is dot at still a thing on the Twitters? I don't know what kids are doing these days. People do it. It's strange to me because you're looking for attention in some way if you're correcting something. I'm not sure because I don't want to be mean. It's possible that someone's autistic and I'm not going to get wound up over it and they could genuinely be helpful. But it's a weird one to me. Why am I dot at tweeting someone unless I'm trying to get attention on the thing that I'm doing and not have an actual conversation with them? So I don't get too hostile with that, but it does intrigue me. So let's talk about what we're talking about. (laughs) Now that we've got dot at out of the way. Okay. Because you were a literal company of one for a while before you became a company of one times two. with me (laughs) for Fathom and all the other shit that we've done. So tell me about uh, your experience starting a one human business. So outside of the freelancing, starting a product business, a software as a service, I started a product called Raw Gains back in 2013 when I left my job. The aim of the product was to be similar to my fitness pal which had recently been acquired for $25 million by Under Armour. And the focus was to give more flexibility to bodybuilders and powerlifters. Was that a pun? Flexibility to bodybuilders? I wish I was that smart. (laughs) I mean, yes, it was a pun. That was intentional. So bodybuilders, people that take their diet crazy seriously, which was me at the time, believe it or not, We would do things like carb cycling and high training days and different calories on this day, protein this day. Uh, refeed days, all this stuff. My fitness pal at the time, before they copied me, just joking, I don't know that, before they had the same features that I did, they didn't allow that. And they now charge for it, which is really funny. And I was going to completely change 
the model of it all. So I quit my job 2013 and then for three or four months was developing this full time. Now, how this ties into being a single founder is that I have only really got an echo chamber around me. So I can talk a big game to my friends or to my family and they're not really in a position where A, they've got the same perspective and B, they've got the same skin in the game as me. So any conversation I had with them wouldn't be the same as a conversation that I have with you where we will both be impacted by our decisions. I was doing that for three to four months and I launched in 2014, 2014, and I missed the market. I didn't have a mobile version because I'm an idiot. And yeah, it never really went anywhere. And uh, that was the end of that. And I only just formally ended it a few months ago. I said, you know, why it's ending, what my future plans will be and what I'm working on now, which was Fathom. And that got, I think, 250 new Fathom trials, which is really cool. <laughs> I must have missed off of <laughs> It must have been a blip in Stripe or something. I had over a thousand emails on there, though. No joke. It was a pretty big deal. They were all probably super stale, though, right? Like, how, wow. like, how often did you email Not them? a little just, bit of I'm ego stroking, nothing. The open rate was actually ridiculously high. They might have been rubbish emails, but the open rate yeah. was above 50, above 60. Nice. Well, there you go. I think one of the things you said there we need to kind of dive into a little bit because I think that is very important is the when you talk to your friends about your idea or the product you're working on, most of the time they're just going to be like, yeah, it's a great idea. Like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Whereas with you and I, we don't necessarily argue, but like if I think an idea that you're bringing to the table is shit, I'm going to say why it's shit and vice versa. If you think something that I want to do with Fathom is a shitty idea, then you're going to be like, I don't think we should do this for the following reasons. Which I think builds a product better because we only move forward with things where we have consensus. And consensus is never a given. I never assume that if I'm coming to you with a new feature idea or a new marketing idea or anything, that you're just going to automatically agree carp launch, right? Like I think... If I want to get Jack to agree to this, I have to think it through, meaning I'm, I'm putting some thought into the idea. I have to come up with a compelling argument or reason for it to happen. And then I have to convince you that it is in fact a good idea. And same goes for you. If you're coming to me with something that you want to do, it's like, well, this actually has to be a pretty good idea. Whereas we can convince ourselves anything is a good idea if we're simply by ourselves kind of thing. There are two stages of vetting you've just described. That's the self-vetting where we actually think about it. And then the other person in our business who is no bullshit and will vet it for you. As you just said, we don't have that as a solo founder. That's huge. Even having to think twice about your ideas, I will note that sometimes I will have a good caffeine high and I will throw out three ideas to you. Sometimes they haven't been thought out. And those ideas are typically the ones that you will not be interested in. Mm -hmm. Comparatively, the ideas that I put out where you know how I write the documents sometimes. Yeah. Those are the ones that have been thought out and really planned out too. And those are the ones that typically gain traction and end up in the product. When there is a reason behind it, that helps get it into the code base. Yeah. Or into the business, I should say. Well, even when we come up with feature ideas, we basically we talk about an idea that we have for a feature. I go off and do basically a mock-up of it, typically in code. 
And then we rip it apart. Like, does this work? Could this be easier? Could this be better? Could this be less steps? And we kind of go through so many iterations to get it to a point where if we're launching a feature in Fathom, then it has been very well thought out. It's been very tested. And we've probably gone through a bunch of worse iterations of it before it ever sees the light of day, which I kind of like. Every single time. Yeah. Yeah, every single time seems to be the case, which is how it should be. A few other things I've been thinking about with regards to why being a solo founder sucks is it's actually quite fun to share success with someone. And I appreciate you can do it with your family and everyone else, but it's still not quite the same. Yeah, my mom doesn't know our MRR. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe once. No, she, I never talked to her about that. <laughs> so well, there you go then, exactly. So Every morning when your kid wakes up, you're like, our MRR is at this. And she throws up on you. I tried to tell my mom about our MRR, but then I remembered she's dead, so it didn't. Way to kill that. Wild humor on the Above Board podcast. <sighs> Sorry, man, I had to. I love the dark humor. My granddad died recently, and I text my cousin saying, only two Ellis men left, dot, dot, dot. You might be next. <laughs> it's, it's dark humor. You know, it's how we get through these things. Uh, it's how British people <laughs> it's British get thing. through these things, I think. Other people are like, well, actually, in, um, not to plug my book, <laughs> because I'm a shill for my book all the time. But in chapter one of Company of One, I talk about how dark humor does build resilience. Yeah, it's, it's the only thing you can do. I, there is some scientific science behind but that. I'm I derailed sure. that anyway for the jokes, but... <laughs> I wanted to derail your first story. When you were talking about carb cycling, I'm like, is that eating donuts on a treadmill? Oh, no, on a bike. Yeah, okay. Really funny. Yeah. I wish you had said that. And I wish you'd have got it wrong and said treadmill, and not bike. <laughs> My God. Oh. So anyway, I lose track. So we were talking about sharing in their success. Yeah, so yes. obviously our wives are affected in successes, but it's not the same. Me and you are both putting in work to this product and we're seeing the reward, more people using privacy-focused products. We're seeing that and we're sharing in the success. We're seeing our trials go crazy. That's something we can both share. You can't share that in the same way with your friends. And if you've got good friends <laughs> who aren't the kind that get jealous when you succeed, then they're happy for you and they're genuinely happy for you, but it's still not quite the same. As a solo founder, it's all you. And the only thing I really, on the other side, because we've got to have a balanced point of view, AJ from God, solo founder, doing very well. Have you spoken to this guy before? Does he? Yeah, I've had him on uh, the Company One podcast when that was going. So he's a solo founder. Does he hire people? How does it work? Yeah, he has a partner and I think he's hired, I haven't talked to him for a little while, but he did have to hire a couple people for, I think, support and vetting. So because he hosts other people's content on his platform, he has to make sure things like neo-Nazis aren't going up and posting on there. So Joy, 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 joy. So he has a partner. I'm not 100% sure what the cut is. Is I don't even remember if he told me, but there is somebody else involved that isn't an employee. I think I could be wrong. I should have like well, actually looked okay. at research before this. But. You know more than me about this kind of stuff. I mean, do you know many solo founders? Because there must be to give a a balanced argument. Who are the solo founders that are killing it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there are some. I mean, that is me for some projects, right? And I think that if I don't have, <laughs> you like how I use myself. Who I wasn't going to say anything. Killing, like killing it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have me as the cheapest example because I happen to be me right now. Uh-huh. 
So I think that when you are a solo founder, you can replicate that a little bit. And I also think it depends on the type of person and the type of project, right? Like if I'm working on a course, I don't need another person to help me with that. I can do that start to finish and I can release it. I do have people that I speak with on a regular basis that, yes, I consider them friends, but we have a call every couple weeks where we talk about our work and kind of pick at what could be good, what could be better, what could be changed, all of that sort of thing. So you can replicate that if you don't. I don't think you always need to have a co-founder, but I think if the project is more complex, and I think it leans more towards it might make sense. Like even look at John and Justin, right? Our buddies at Transistor. They do a good job. And I think I think that there needs to be a balance sometimes if you do have a co-founder. Like if you have two developers, it might not work as well as if you have a developer and a designer or a developer and a writer or something like that, or a developer and a marketer like Justin and John, where there's a good kind of balance there where you're kind of offsetting each other's skills with the skills that you bring to the table. And it's the last point that I'll make on this is, is I think it's actually really hard to be a solo founder because it's really hard to be good at all of the things it takes to build not just a product, but a product business. And those two things are very, very different. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. And I think of those three things, development, design, and marketing. I'm sure you can break them down into growth hacking and architecture and all these different things. But those seem to be the main things when building a software as a service. Mm -hmm. So there is Nathan Barry at ConvertKit. He's solo, but he built his cash stack up because he, he sold some courses. I know he did that. I think I actually bought one of his courses. So he could have hired the help he needed. So it's really, if you're a solo founder, why would you not stay as a solo founder and just hire the help you needed? I do think he has advisors, at least at this point now. I know a couple other people that are solo founders that have I guess, a board of directors or less formally, just a bunch of advisors to help. But I do think that a lot of people may be put off, and you brought this up in the previous recording that nobody gets to hear because my audio <laughs> crapped yeah. out. I'm not going to take credit for your idea, so just yeah, bringing yeah. up the fact that this is take two. You brought up the idea of, well, if you bring in another founder, you need to make twice as much money because you're splitting the money, right? Which I think could put a lot of people off. And again, I think it depends on the project where it may not make sense to have two people sharing the money. But maybe it does. So then the scale of the business comes into it. If you're going to build a billion dollar company, or at least you think you are, uh, then who cares? Bring on as many founders as you like. I mean, money's not even an issue at that point. If you're trying to stay small and sustainable, and hey, Basecamp, two founders. Yeah. I'm just thinking if you're trying to build a sustainable product that lasts long term, you're not going to necessarily be hitting the billion dollars because how sustainable is a billion dollar valuation? And I appreciate people do it, but it's a lot harder to get there than, say, to build something moderate. I think that, yeah, money isn't always a factor. I think it sometimes comes down to control as well. Do I want to give up half of my control to somebody else versus be able to make all of the decisions? I mean, I like that. I feel like I can make all the decisions with us, and I feel like you can make all the decisions with you as well, but there needs to be buy-in from the other person. Like, if all of the decisions I make you feel are good, then that's all of the decisions, right? Like, I feel like consensus makes things better. 
So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not giving up 50% of control to you. I'm giving up no control and I'm trading it for consensus because I know that I'll be able to block any shitty ideas you have and you'll be able to block any <laughs> shitty ideas that I have. Yeah, so we're lucky there because our alignment is quite similar. We're not aligned in every single way. We're very closely aligned when it comes to running a business. If I was going into this wanting to get investment and give away 40%, this never would have happened. So we're aligned on the things that matter and everything else just, we have trust in each other, so it just works. Yeah, but I think there's a big thing where people, when they're looking for co-founders, I mean, we talk a bit about like how you find a co-founder or what you look for in a co-founder because we're both taken. (laughs) So I think that a lot of times people may just look for the hard skills, like I'm a designer, I want to build a software product, I need to find a developer. And I think what you said there was key, where I think you don't just have to look for skills, you have to look for intent, where it wouldn't make sense for me to partner with another co-founder who wants rapid growth and VC money and all of that. Just like it wouldn't make sense if that's the type of business I wanted to build to partner with somebody like me who's like, oh, fuck VC. Right. So I think that there needs to be an alignment there because what would have happened if like you were super into VC and I wasn't? And we got some of those emails that we got that were like, Mm. hey, we want to invest in your company or like, what could you do with a million dollars or all those (laughs) fucking email subject lines? Like that would have created such a big riff where we both would have ended up hating each other or resenting each other. And that wouldn't have worked out really well. So looking at some core alignments is very important. But that's also a downside or a challenge of not being a solo founder. You need to be very picky with who you partner with. For me and Paul, we actually worked on two products before. So the this backstory for us is that I was in, funnel, I didn't even know this, but I was in Paul's hometown and I was part of his creative class. And I said, hey, should we do coffee or something? Or, And then you were down, which I was surprised about, but... We did, met for coffee. Neither of us were crazy. And then we hit it off. And then we did a product called Bitcoin High Score. And it was, the, <laughs> it was a fun project to make. And we hammered it out quickly. And we learned what it was like to work with one another. And uh, it was, it, to me, it was a product where you could pay to be on a leaderboard with Bitcoin. And it was yes. fun to build. Made a little bit of Bitcoin from that. And everyone was happy. And then a little bit after that, we did Pico. And again, we learned how we both thought, how we worked together. And um, we found it to be a good fit. So that already is quite a different approach to the way a lot of people go. We actually worked together on two other projects before we reached this position we're in. And I mean, admittedly, it was more like one because Pico would have ended up being a business had it not been acquired by Ghost. Mm-hmm. But we already knew how we worked together. And then Fathom, it was just, you know, I know you, you know me. Let's get together and kill Barney. What's the original version? I know, I was trying to think Make of how that, how that ends and I can't remember. I know I went on a tangent there, but I want to bring back to the skin in the game piece. One of the things that I really look at is sweat equity. If someone comes along and says, I want to put in 200 grand, if they just put in money, Versus, you know, we're putting in however many hours. If you look at the hourly rate of a senior developer, senior designer, and everything else, it does make me think, well, screw your money. Money is abundant. There's money fucking everywhere. I sound like a privileged white middle class. I'm not, I'm not even... <laughs> I came from a working class family. I'm not... 
too deluded. But yeah, and I know what you're saying. Do you know in what I mean? Tech, it's in tech, available. there's a lot of money going around. There's so much money available in tech. So why are we, are we really... It just doesn't bring anything to the table. Good skill. I'm not going to use the word hustle. Ostinato rigor. Constant rigor. Whatever it was, the Da Vinci thing. People that can actually do that and can actually produce. That is rare. And they can do it at a high level. Very rare. That's what I care about. There's also a difference between just getting a lump sum now and building wealth. I think we've had this conversation privately about like, oh, well, would we take like 1 million or 10 million or, or however much money? And it's like, it would be a lump sum now, but the way that we kind of approach Fathom is that it's like an investment for us because it's our business, right? Where we're building long-term wealth by releasing a product that people like, that people want, that people want to pay for, that people want to pay for on a regular basis and with greater frequency because we're growing and where our growth is always offsetting our churn. And so technically we could take a payout now, but that would be a lump sum for giving up that much or for selling the company for X amount of dollars. Whereas we're building wealth at the moment where we're getting paid by the software, every, we're putting work in obviously, but we're getting paid month over month over month without any real end. Like obviously people could be like, oh, privacy is not a thing anymore and not yeah. care. Or simplicity, like that, simplicity know. is not a thing anymore. We only care about complexity, right? But I mean, for at least a short term, like years or decade or whatever, we're building wealth here, which I like doing. And I will offer a counter. Sure. So the Big advantage of VC or any sort of investment, you know, venture capital, angel investor, whatever it may be, is that that can pay you to work on a product full time. Mm-hmm. So right now, if you've established your business, you've got your courses, I am still doing consulting work. So it means I spend less time on Fathom. That is the only advantage. I mean, sure, you can bring a few people to the table that can help you with ideas on your board and everything. But the big advantage for me would be time. That would be the only thing I could see, being able to work on a product full time. But we're getting there. (laughs) Oh yeah, this isn't me complaining, that's me going back to the start and thinking, okay, you've got no monthly revenue. So imagine you're at zero. Oh, actually then you wouldn't get a VC because you haven't proven your business model. It's just like a record company. They're not going to give somebody a record deal unless you don't need a record deal. That's how it works. That's how money works. You only have access to it when you no longer need it. That says a lot about our society. No, that really does. It totally it's 100% fucked up and 100% how it works. Good gosh. But that's the only point I can really see. It's not black and white. Let me ask you this then. Do you think a co-founder partnership could work if it was an unequal partnership? Like 60-40, 30-70, whatever. Okay, so the only way that would work, let's do it with us. The only way that would work, imagine that you had like 60, 70 and I had 40, 30. The only way that would work is if you were paying me a salary as well and you put your own money in. I think that's the only way I could see it working. But then my ideas or vote would weigh more than yours or how would that work? We don't work together to come up with a shared ideal because of our equity. We do it because we care about the business. We care about the product. But would the person with less care less is what I'm getting at? Because I don't know the answer to that. Would the person with less care less because they have less skin in the game? Okay, so I can speak anecdotally. I've seen companies, and I won't give names, but I'm talking big companies. Or we'll just beep it out. Yeah, no, it's the, in, I've seen the internal workings of some big companies and um, I've seen plenty of people with under 10% of the company who care a ton, who care an unbelievable amount. So 
I still think that if you like the job, yeah, well, it depends on the job. If I was working for Fathom and I had less than 50%, would I care less? I don't think I would. Because it's not just about the equity and the money, is it? It's also about your belief in the mission. And if we're going down that way of thinking, then we're saying that no employees care. Well, you said care as much. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they might care more because it's their livelihood. And sometimes the boss just doesn't care. Can I say you now have 10% equity in Fathom and pay you $50,000 no, a year? What did I, what did I say? <laughs> I said, like, ten, ten, if, someone, if someone comes along offering 10 mil for okay. some stupid small percent, then I would, uh, I'd sell. That but would that be would my, never happen. That no, would I just be like if somebody shows up at your door and is like, here's a million dollars, see ya. <laughs> that doesn't actually happen. And truthfully, that's where I am with it. But um it does get interesting when money gets brought into things, but I personally believe you're better off sustaining yourself, keeping control over your destiny. Yeah, and working that way. Because then it just, the ball's in your court and you haven't got to be a slave to anyone. Mm -hmm. I think that's very valuable. So, really, we've decided that companies have won. Oh, sorry. Single founder companies <laughs> can be okay. And so can multiple person you haven't talked about your stuff you do loads of stuff with people i mean creative class you started that solo right yes. you've now got kaylee moore in yeah no, i can see why that's beneficial but talk to that i only look for co-founders that are as driven as myself because i don't want to manage anybody i feel like i don't have to manage you or kaylee or even zach gilbert who i do wp complete and wp helpful with like we don't have to manage each other because we're all driven individuals and so I think with Creative Class, Kaylee emailed me and was like, hey, what if you did uh, this, this, and this with Creative Class? And I was like, what if you did that? <laughs> and I just brought you on board and we worked on the project together. And she was like, sure. And the reason I asked you about the motivation thing earlier on in the episode is because I feel like I am a bit more motivated with projects if I'm working on something with somebody else where if there's deadlines, they matter more because it's not just me affected. If there's things that need to get done or things that could be better, it's not just me, it's somebody else. So I feel uh, probably more motivated to work with other people on certain types of projects because that makes sense. And with creative class, I wanted to add more, but at the time I didn't have time to add more. And I knew Kaylee's skill set. And I'd actually, I hadn't worked with Kaylee before, but we had talked on Skype a bunch and talked on Twitter a bunch. And I knew who she was. I knew who she worked with as well. And I knew that she was really good at what she did and didn't need any handholding whatsoever to get work done. And I was like, this is the type of person that I want to partner with. And then we had a good rapport in terms of talking. I was like, okay, this is somebody that I could record a podcast with. And luckily she felt the same. And we had mm -hmm. that podcast. And same with Zach. I feel like, actually, I probably worked on Zach with more projects, probably like four or five or six software projects I built with Zach. We've sold a couple of them. We've canned think maybe one and we still have WPC and WPH. So I like that I can work on a bunch of different things at the same time. And since none of them take all of my time because I have partners on a couple of them, I can kind of flip between like, okay, today I'm going to work on Fathom all day or tomorrow mm -hmm. I'm going to work on Creative Class or the next day I'm going to work on WPC or whatever. So I feel like I like that 
I have work to do for all of these things and I like to do the work, but I also feel like I don't have to work just on this thing. Like if I just had to write SEO articles for Fathom, which is basically all I do for Fathom, let's be honest. <laughs> if I just had that to do every single day, five days a week, I'd be so fucking bored. Okay. Have you had any failures running a product either with, <laughs> well, no, I mean, solo, that isn't a wind up. That's it. Cause I don't know of any products you've, have you done products solo that have failed? Yeah, a bunch. I had a bunch of courses that didn't work. I've had a bunch of software products that I've built with other people that haven't worked. I think my success rate for products is about 50%. And I feel pretty good about that. Regardless of single founder or multiple founders. So yeah. that isn't a, okay, fine, that makes sense. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be a factor for me at least. So really, it's the case that if you're going to be a solo founder, be ready to pay for outside help and find people that will really challenge you on your bullshit and talk to you as if they have skin in the game. And then if you're going to have two or more founders, find someone who is not afraid to challenge you, try and go in equally with them, and make sure your kind of core interests align and perhaps start something smaller with them before you commit to a business relationship, which is a big deal. You know, going 50-50 on a business is no small venture. It is. We're basically business married. Exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> legally. Legally. All right. Cue the outro music, which I think is the same as the intro music, right? It's good music. Let's just listen to it again. Mm-hmm.